With that in mind, let's turn to God's word this evening. We're going to read from the Bible together. We're going to read from Revelation. We've been looking at this book together on Sunday evenings. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 15, beginning at verse 5. It's on page 1244 in the Red Bibles in the pew. We'd encourage you to follow along as we read the Bible together. Revelation chapter 15, we begin to read at verse 5, and we're going to read right down to the end of chapter 16. And as we read, we remember that this is the Word of God, and so we can trust it completely. After this, I looked, and in heaven, the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes round their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and you who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tons in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together 
to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. Amen. We thank God for his word to us. Let's uh, turn to those chapters that we read earlier, Revelation 15 and 16, page 1244 of the Pew Bibles. All sorts of things that uh, I think I'm starting to appreciate more as I get older. One, I think I'm developing a little bit of an interest in history. Uh, When I was younger, I tended to be really fascinated by the future. You know, tomorrow's world was was what really captured my attention. Um, But but now I find myself a little bit more interested in the past and and what happened to bring us to where we are now. And, and, And particularly, I get really quite humbled sometimes whenever I'm in the presence of something that's really ancient. You know, you go down the road to... Newgrange, and, and they think it was built something like 3,000 years ago. Or you, you go to Rome and you see the, the doors through which Cleopatra walked, apparently. You, you, you go to Israel and you see Nehemiah's walls built 700 BC or something like that. And, and, you, and you sort of think about the countless lives that have come and gone, the, the days that have begun and end, and it's since those amazing structures were built. But it's easy, isn't it, to think sometimes whenever we, we see this, sort of the history, even the recent history of the world, it's easy for us to think that <clears throat> because the days have always just come and gone, they will continue to come and go. We just go to bed assuming that there will be a tomorrow, and, and not just for us individually, but for all of us together, for our, our world. And what the Bible tells us, of course, is that the history of this world is not never-ending. There was a time when it began, and there will be a time when it will end as, as we know it. There will be a time when, when God will call time on our world, and history will come to a close. So there will be a day when there is not a tomorrow for our world. Now, we've seen that this book of Revelation gives us great insight into the way that our world is now. It shows us, for example, the great battle that there is, a spiritual battle that is raging all around us, whether we are medical students or teachers or mums or or kids in school or whatever we might be. There's a a spiritual battle raging all around us. But, But it also is a book that tells us about the future and about how this world will wrap up. And we're coming into a section of Revelation where that sort of theme tends to, to dominate. You remember this book's structure? <clears throat> First of all, it's, it's apocalyptic literature, so it, it tells us truth. It reveals truth to us in pictures. So 
we find that many of the things that we read here are, are, are sort of standing for something. They're conveying truth to us in a, in a manner that perhaps we're not always used to. But the book's structures revolved around a series of seven, so letters to seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and now we get to seven bowls. And these seven bowls are really the, the last of the sevens, and they're talking about when God is going to wrap all things up in this world. Now, the section actually starts in chapter 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is complete. So these seven angels and the plagues, which are later described as seven in seven bowls, are introduced to us here. And we see it's all about the wrath of God. We're, we're going to see that it's about God judging sin and Satan and those who have fallen into step with him. And then but before all of that, the camera sort of shifts, as it were, to the heavenly throne room, to the gathered church praising God. We saw that last week in the first sort of five verses or first four verses of chapter 15. And part of what that's saying to us, I think, is that, is that as we're about to see these pictures of great judgment, let's just remember, here's the church and the church is absolutely safe. The focus of the judgments of God are on the unbelieving world, but the church is held safe in God. Well, that focus then on judgment picks up again in verse 5. After this, I looked, and in heaven, the temple, and in heaven, the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. So the story of the judgment begins in the tabernacle or the temple. That's significant in a whole host of ways. What we're going to do just now is we're going to make a number of general points about God's judgment here, and then really very quickly and and, uh, as a way of an overview, just mention one or two of the, the notable features of the outpouring of these seven bowls. So, so first, one of the principles that we see here generally is that God is the one who judges. God judges. And the temple, you see, is where God is. It is the focus of his presence. At the end of the book, we'll see that he has sort of, as it were, come out of the temple. His presence is fully with his people. But here is where he dwells. So whenever we think of judgment, it's coming from the place where God dwells. It's, it's God's judgment. Now, that's really important in our world today. These are sort of basic things, but they, they run contrary to the way sometimes parts of the world think. So, for example, we want to say here that the universe does not just work with a series of impersonal laws which we suffer for if we break. So, so it's not just like, like gravity, for example. Mess with gravity and you will suffer. No, no. This is, is God dealing with with people. Uh, Nor does the universe operate on the basis of of karma. I remember a a church member from another church saying to me once, he said, here's here's how I see it. He said, "I, I think if I just do good, good will come to you. But if you do bad, you'll pay for it eventually. Well, that is indeed a religious idea, but it's a Buddhist idea. It's really karma. And uh, it's, it's, it's impersonal. It's the way the universe works. But that's not what the Bible tells us about how things really are. God is the God 
who judge us. He will right the wrongs. He will call to account. So that's the first thing. God judges. The second thing to say is, is God can judge or, or he's in the position to judge. <clears throat> so a few generations ago, this wouldn't have been disputed. But over the last generations, thinking has changed, especially in the Western world. And one of the things that has emerged almost unquestioningly is that we have the right to determine what is right or wrong. It's up to us to say if something is right or wrong and indeed to say if something is good or bad. Before, if, if, if God said that something was good, it was good. That was it. But now we decide what's right and wrong. And then what we end up doing is we call God to account for his actions against a standard that we determine. So we say to to God, in effect, you, you know, all of this talk about judgment, it's not good. It's not, very, it's not very Christian. You would be better, imagine the, 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 the hubris of this, you would be better if you were more forgiving. And, and we may feel some sympathy with that, even as, as long-term Christians, simply because of the world that we live in and the culture that we inhabit. The, 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 the fact that, that tolerance of others is so prized today would quickly lead people to say to God, you would be nicer and better if you were more tolerant of people who disagreed with you. But but let's think about that for a moment because we've got to recognize that that's just a, a shift in our culture that has real no, really no basis in fact. Because if you go to other societies, it is not God's justice that is a problem. It is actually God's forgiveness and his love. They, they, they imagine what sort of God would forgive people who rebelled against him? What sort of God would forgive sinners? And, and so we need to understand that, that our society is calling God to account to a standard of our own making. If we decide that justice is bad and forgiveness is good, and some other cultures decide that forgiveness is bad and justice is good, well, it shows us at least that we don't really have an objective standard to measure God by. And that really gets to the heart of the matter, because the Bible tells us that we can't call God to account. He calls us to account. It's not up to the creature to say to the creator, answer to me. It's the other way around. Uh, one of the things, of course, that was housed in the temple or the tabernacle was the Ten Commandments, the law of God. The, the, the tablets of, of stone were housed in the, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and the fact that this judgment begins in the temple indicates that we are accountable and judged because we are lawbreakers. We are measured against the law of God. You remember the catechism question, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity onto or transgression of the law of God. So, so God, because he is God, has the right to say, this is how things are and this is how things are to be and to call us to account when we ignore that or overturn that. And, and indeed, we probably need to go further than that. We probably need to say that, that, that God has to do that. 
he would not be God if he ignored rebellion in his world. All sin is an attempt to to dethrone God. It's an attempt to to say to God, you're not God, really, we, we are the people in charge here. And for God to ignore that would be to deny who he is. And so he cannot do that. God must punish sin. Rebellion must be paid for. Now that then leads us to say something about God's wrath. That's a word that we perhaps don't hear all that often. We, we see here that these bowls are being described as full of the wrath of God. You see that in chapter 16, verse 1. And we go wrong, of course, if we think of wrath in sort of human terms, like our human anger. We know that our anger is fickle. We get angry at something one day, but not the next. Things that ought to make us angry don't, and things that, that shouldn't make us angry do. It's a lot about us and what sort of mood we're in. And maybe some of us think that, that God's a bit like that, but, but we'd be terribly, terribly wrong. God's wrath is not something that ebbs and flows depending on his mood. God is entirely consistent. And so, therefore, is his wrath. So what is it? It is his, as one person has put it, it is his settled hostility against sin. God's wrath, his settled hostility against sin. It never changes. It's entirely consistent. God hates sin and rebellion, and it will be dealt with. So God is the one who can judge. He's in a position to judge. And then the last thing just to say is, is sort of framework here is, is that God is the one who can save. Because the other thing that the temple reminds us of is that this is the place where sacrifice was made. Atonement for sin was made in the temple. Indeed, the whole structure of the temple, you might know it, it points us to Jesus and his sacrifice. So, so God is the, the judge, but he's also the one who saves. And, and this is really remarkable. This is where we, we're going to struggle to think about this properly, but there is a sense in which God, in rescuing us, takes steps to save us from himself. He acts to save people from his own settled hostility against sin. So if we could put it like this, God knows that his wrath will and must burn against sin. And in order to save his people, it is not that he suspends his wrath. Don't think of that. No, he takes his wrath in Jesus Christ. Christ suffers the wrath of God. Remember, we sing it, don't we? Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And so that should help us see that God's judgment against sin can't be ignored. It's a debt that has to be paid but Jesus pays it for us. So as we see the one who judges here, we've got to remember that he's also the one who saves. And we must perhaps ask, what is it like to 
fall into the hands of one who judges when we had ignored his salvation. Well, those are just three sort of very basic sort of points as we, as we come to, to look at, at these verses. And we're going to just look at, at something very, very basic as we sweep through what really happens in a, this account. So what do we see? Well, we, we see that, that the angels take the bowls of God's wrath and they begin to pour them out. The first four are on the earth, the sea, the rivers, and the sun. And if we read that, we, we might, as we read this account, we might see that there's something sort of strangely familiar here, especially if we'd been reading Exodus, because we would remember that these, in, in some ways, are, are reminiscent, at least, of the Exodus plagues. Remember, the Nile turns to blood and so on. Later on, we see frogs and hail that links us further to the Exodus. Uh, so, so if you think of it like this, just as, as God rescued his people and judged the unbelieving Egyptians... So now God is going to do that fully and finally. So there's a parallel with the Exodus. There's also a parallel with the trumpets back in chapter 8. It's the same sequence at the beginning, the uh, earth, the sea, the rivers, and the sun. But, but there's a difference. It, it, in chapter 8, it, with the trumpets, a third of the earth, a third of the sea, and so on, is affected. But here you notice everything is affected. It's all of the earth, all of the sea. In other words, this is God's full and final judgment. No sin will be left unpunished ultimately. Nothing will be ignored. But then, back then, we, we, we mentioned that in chapter 8, we mentioned that the limited nature of God's judgments in part displayed God's justice, but also acted as a warning. Now, now, now Jesus did this. You, you remember in, in Luke chapter 13, some people came to Jesus and, and they raised with him a, a great atrocity that Pilate had committed when, when Pilate killed some worshipers. And, and, and Jesus, rather surprisingly, he, he, he said, you, you must understand that they were no worse then you, and unless you repent, you too will perish. And, and he added, Jesus added, the example of those who were killed when a tower fell on them. So, so both uh, atrocity and natural disaster, we might say. Uh, and so, you, you, according to Jesus, as, as, as we see atrocity and disaster, we should think, well, what about me? My life is fragile I am not ready. I live in a world that is in some way under the judgment of God. I must turn to God in repentance. That's really what Jesus was saying. But here, in this chapter, these judgments are not warning so much. Here the time for warning seems to be past. This is God calling time. This is God saying, enough. And you notice that the hearts of those who are judged are revealed. You see how often it is emphasized that people do not repent. So it's in verse 9, it's in verse 11, and it's in verse 21. Rather, they continue to curse God and refuse to give him glory. Now, as you 
chat to your friends, one of the perceptions that you may come across is a common misconception about how God works. Some of your friends might think, maybe even some of us might think, that, 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 that God sort of gives people time to repent. But if they don't do that in 50, 60, 70 years, and they die, and then they, they realize that actually this is really, really serious, and, and they are consigned to hell, but on the way there, they're saying, no, 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 I've made a dreadful mistake. Let me have another chance. And God says, no, 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 you had your chance on earth. That's it. Time's up. Lots of people think like that. Is that what we see here? No, that's not what we see here. We see that even in the face of judgment, there is no repentance. Oh, oh, people don't want the suffering, but neither do they want the Savior. They refuse to give Him glory. They persist in their rebellion. We must see that the human heart is much darker than we ever imagined. It's much more entrenched in its rebellion, all of which is to say how great God is when he turns our hearts to himself. Now something else we should see here. You notice that when judgment is poured out by the third angel in verse 4, the angel praises God. You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, this may be difficult for us because of the way that we have been conditioned to think. But, but from a heavenly perspective, heaven sees the suffering of the church at the hands of the world, and when the world is judged, heaven says, this is right. This is justice. And the altar agrees. It was under the heavenly altar, you remember, that the martyrs were gathered in some of the previous chapters. It's a witness to their suffering. One of the things that we need to understand is that God's glory is seen in his judgment. That's, that's hard for us to grasp because we, we often think of God's glory being seen in his working salvation. We say, praise you, Lord, for, for the fact that you save. But actually, his glory is also seen in his righteous judgments. And God's people will eventually say, you have done all things well, including your judgments. In the fifth bowl, fifth bowl is poured out against the throne of the beast. So here the, the, the judgments are getting closer to the center of evil. Things are building to a climax. And the sixth bowl is poured out on the Euphrates. It dries up. Now, traditionally, the, uh, the enemies of God's people came from the east. They came across the Euphrates. And so the fact that it dries up makes their attacks easier. And, and, and we find that these three demons coming from the three, uh, this sort of uh, anti-trinity, uh, are, are coming out again to inspire people evilly, to gather against God at this great final battle, Armageddon. It's hard to fully understand 
the location of Armageddon. It's, it's a little bit disputed. It may be this plain of Megiddo uh, where all the great roads met, north, south, east, and west. But, but the point is, it, it looks like, like evil is making a final uh, concerted effort against God. Maybe even that it triumphs for a time. You remember some weeks ago we said that Revelation seems to suggest that before Christ returns, there will be a period of particularly intense pressure and persecution on the church. God's people will will perhaps be so pushed in this world that, that it may look as if the church is almost wiped out And yet, as they cry to him, as the church cries to him in this darkest of ours, Christ will come. And that's the seventh bowl. The seventh bowl is really taken past the final battle to the final judgment of God. And we just see that everything falls apart. The things that seem so concrete, the things that you can bet the farm on, the very fabric of the earth, where the earth shakes. The great city is split in three. That's that's presumably Babylon, uh, uh, the the picture of everything that is opposed to God, the the worldly systems opposed to God. They, they, They are cast, it is cast down into pieces, and with them all the cities and structures of this world. And and the very fabric of the earth is destroyed. The the islands and the nations, or the islands and the mountains flee. Why? Because God's bringing in a new heavens and a new earth. He's making space. Now, we will see more of this final judgment in the coming weeks, all being well. But here's the thing, maybe to say as we finish. This is coming. It, 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 is, it is coming. This, this is the history that we are in. But it's not yet. And that means that now we are waiting. And we're waiting in readiness. That's the tone of chapter 16, verse 15. Behold, I come like a thief, Jesus says. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. You see, we're, we're, we're to be ready. Weren't there so many of Jesus' parables that were like that? Be ready. There will be difficulties to endure. We will have to endure them. But But one day, there will be no tomorrow for this world. One day you will wake up, and you won't go to bed again that night. And then there will be everlasting joy for God's people. What a day. But while we wait for that day, we are not inactive, not at all. We are, as the Bible says, holding out the word of life. Here's what one writer says as he talks about the the gap that there is between what we live in now and what is promised to us. He says this, while this gap stays open, before the last bowls are poured out on an unrepentant world, 
The church is called to hold fast and hold forth the testimony of Jesus. Jesus who drained the cup of wrath and suffering for all who turn and trust in him. You see, there is unspeakable wrath to come. But but the gospel says Christ has taken this cup of wrath to his lips for his people. He has drained it dry. He is a savior for all who will come. And meanwhile, if we are his, we hold fast to him and we hold him forth. It's that simple and that hard. Where are you going to go this week? What circles are you going to be in? A hostile debate, perhaps, about abortion? A, a cup of coffee with a, a neighbor who, who, who just says, oh, I just don't get those things that you believe. A, a family circle that, that loves you but thinks the things that you hold on to are just crazy. Hold fast and hold forth as we wait on his coming. Let's take a moment to pray together, to think what it is that that as we read these verses, as we think about this day which is coming, how it might affect our lives. What does that mean for you and for me? Perhaps for some of us, it, it means we, we just really need to be serious about our, our living. For some of us, serious about our holding forth our prayer and our witness. Maybe for some of us, we're not yet Christians. This all seems strange, but But what if it is true? What should you do in the light of that? Lord, help us to believe your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.